zone. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Condor Man, released August 7th, 1981. It was written by Mark Sturdivant, suggested by the novel The Game of X by Robert Sheckley, with uncredited work from Mickey Rose, directed by Charles Jarrett, and released by Buena Vista Distribution. Well, that suggested by... I understand credit. it this time because oh, I read the book this week. So. You read the book? I read the book this week. Oh, good Lord. I can't believe you invested more into this film. <laughs> I do this kind of stuff for this <laughs> podcast. So I'm a very sacrificing person. <laughs> In 1965, Hugo nominee Robert Sheckley's novel The Game of X was published, which tells the story of an everyman friend of an intelligence agent who is recruited to take part in a simple mission which evolves into the extraction of an important Russian defector. Fifteen years later, Disney began planning their adaptation as The Condor Man, three words, and later Condor Man, two words, on the way to Condor Man, one word. Presumably their intent was to convey the plot as halfway between Three Days of the Condor and Superman, but it's really more spy film than superhero film. Raquel Welch was offered the part of Natalia and turned it down, possibly because Natalia doesn't really do much in the film, at least in its current version. The film shot largely on location in exotic locales like Paris, Monte Carlo, and Zermatt, Switzerland, which is probably the only reason Oliver Reed agreed to appear in the film. I don't know how they got him in this movie. Well, he's been in some terrible things uh, over the course of this podcast. A lot of them, have, uh, the mini-sode uh, covers some of his even less oh, understandable roles. Oh, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that, but, but I was uh, this was not a good time for him. He was sort of in a, in a haze yeah. uh, these years, and he kind of agreed to whatever seemed like a fun trip. Disney, and in particular executive VP Ron Miller, presumed that this film would perform strongly on account of its boundary-pushing sex appeal compared to previous Buena Vista releases. A sequel was authorized in advance of the film's release and then quickly scrapped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was like, sex appeal for who? Ron Miller thought that Miss Carrera was the sexiest thing that had ever happened in a Disney movie. And he kept mentioning it to the press. (laughs) And it's like... This is Disney. I guess it, it it hadn't like solidified into a kids only company yet. Yeah. But even at the time, they were known for their family oriented stuff. And she's also not like yeah. especially seductive in this. Well, movie. that's what I was gonna say. I mean, like she's an attractive woman, but yeah. she doesn't. There is no like sex appeal of this character aside from being an attractive woman. Right. She's yeah. not like scantily clad. I would say no. With a total budget of $14 million, the second most expensive live-action Disney film ever at the time, behind what I couldn't figure out, it supposedly made as little as $4.5 million back. Did so, it land on the list? Uh, no. Really? Not as far as I saw, but oh, that seems on. like it should qualify. I, I was watching it thinking this has to be big bucks, big losers. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't big enough bucks? Maybe. Yeah, but $14 million might not be enough. $14 million? Yeah. Yeah, but if you if you don't make anything, that's yeah. a lot. 
On top of that, they were sued for $16 million by Linda Lane for infringement on her established Lady Laser cartoon character. That was... Okay. Where were the lawyers on that one? That would be something probably easy to Google. Well, yeah. okay, not Google. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Investigate. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but a copyright and research report needed to be done. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it turns out, like, I couldn't find the results of that case, so I'm assuming it was a settled out of court situation. She probably got money for it. Good for yeah. her. Is it is it a famous character? Could you tell? Like, I've never heard of it. Like, is I it, don't know for sure like that it ever that, even... Like, uh, claimed kung fu panda was his own and he no i mean like after the fact (laughs) she had she had provable sketches and an existing copyright on this character in advance of the film's release Mm. the film had a product tie-in with baskin robbins in the form of a condor man crunch flavor do you guys recall the last time we had a baskin robbins flavor tie-in no (laughs) i can give you a clue i can tell you what it was called all right i'll take a clue can't stop the nuts oh Do you know what that was connected to? <laughs> Why, would Why would they call it that? Oh my of all God. things. Okay, is it is it just a bag full of nuts? That's right. Like, Disney's no Amy cream. is the film. <laughs> no. Can't stop the music. Wow. A is, sequel did not. Oh, but sorry. wait, wait. You're trying to distance yourself from the fact that these guys are gay. Right. I don't know if Baskin Robbins got that memo. <laughs> Just another one of the 31 flavors. Yep. Uh, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> God. <laughs> I like that that took a while to sink in. It was like, yeah, wait, what? <laughs> so what was Condor Man Crunch? Do we know? Um, I think it was actually Condor Meat. No, I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> Which is why they're now extinct <laughs> yeah. in California. Aren't they our, our state it, bird? Yeah, or I think they're endangered. You ever, have you ever seen one? A condor? I thought they yeah. made a comeback. Yeah, like, but, I mean, like... Uh, I, I've, de- I've definitely spotted a lot of like large vultures, um, but I, I think I've seen a condor Yeah, and, and it's because you can't mistake it cause it's just like a six foot wingspan. It's yeah. just a massive bird. I saw one one time and then the right wing just broke and it fell in a river. <laughs> what are you talking about? This movie that we watched. Oh, <laughs> We did watch it, right? <laughs> I watched it. I watched it mostly. Although I have to say I had a lot of issues watching it. Yeah. The technical issues. Okay. Yeah, that was I, I had non-technical issues watching <laughs> it. <laughs> I, I was actually going to ask how the quality was for you. I mean, it's crap because it's a DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but you had no problems. No like, stuttering okay. or anything like that. A sequel did come to fruition eventually in comic book form, but we'll discuss that bit at the end. It seems Disney didn't quite learn their lesson because two years later, they released another spy parody, Trench Coat, starring Margot Kidder and Robert Hayes, which performed similarly dreadfully. When Disney acquired Marvel Comics, the Amazing Spider-Man editor Stephen Wacker petitioned to introduce Condor Man into the Marvel Universe. (laughs) Yes. That would be so great. I want them to do that now. Just make a Condor movie, like, unannounced and put it in theaters. The, the only reference I've ever seen to Condor Man was in one of the Toy Story tunes. Right, yeah. And then Condor Man right. with DJ Blue Jay. While that hasn't happened yet, he did make a small cameo in the Pixar universe in the form of a Happy Meal toy in the Toy Story short, Small Fry. I always felt like this was a glaring inclusion, since after the first film, nearly every toy introduced in the series comes from a completely fictional toy line. I think the Condor Man toy is the only toy 
to my recollection, that's based on another Disney property. Yeah. Like, they don't have Star Wars toys or Marvel toys in the Toy Story universe. At least I, not I, yet. I, I mean, I, I didn't know it was an actual toy because it seems so crappy just like everything else. It's not a real toy, but it's based on an existing property. Whereas everything else is like Combat Carl is a, is a G.I. Joe parody or they have like their fake Transformer toy. So like most of their toys are not based on real toys after the first film. And the first okay. film, obviously, you have... Like Barbie is actually Yeah, Barbie. you have Barbie, you have Etch-A-Sketch, Mr. Yeah. Potato Head. Like, those are real. But as the as the universe got more complicated, they, they stopped bothering with the rights to these other toys, and they started just making up their own stuff. At the start of this film, a large polished bronze plaque slides down into frame bearing the insignia of Condor Man with a giant condor behind it but its resemblance to an eagle renders the logo vaguely Nazi-esque. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not even vaguely. No. No, it was very like, ooh. Yikes. Wait, and, and like, this is 81. Like, yeah. You, you're not that far removed from that uh, imagery having a significant meaning. Yeah. An animated Condor Man character steps into frame from the bottom left corner wearing enormous wings. He rushes toward the Condor Man logo, which then drops an extra foot, pinching his wing to the ground. This animation was done by Disney artist Michael Credino, who got his start working on Fox and the Hound earlier this season, and left mid-film with Team Bluth, eventually returning in time for Oliver and Company and The Little Mermaid. It actually looks more Bluthy than, it does. Uh, than I agree. Disney's style in general, yeah. so they must have given him more... Uh, freedom than they do on the traditional features i think that's because the bluthy stuff to me usually looks less rotoscopy it doesn't look like they're trying to pattern it after like existing footage it looks more like just freehand um and this guy definitely is very stretchy skewy he's able to yank his wings out from under the plaque and spread them wide to take flight but then the whole logo tips forward and crushes him at the same time revealing the arc de triomphe in the establishing shot of paris the animated Condor Man climbs around on rooftops and then leaps from the edge, frantically flapping his wings and clumsily swooping around the background under the title cards. He leaps from between the spires of the Notre Dame Cathedral and lets out one of those skiing goofy haulers. He crashes directly into camera and the rest of the credits play out in the lenses of his glasses. We finished the opening titles on the Eiffel Tower. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a superhero swooping around the Eiffel Tower? Uh, was it Superman 2? That's right. Did you know that the air around the Eiffel Tower weighs almost as much as the steel itself if you were to create a box around the space of the Eiffel Tower? What makes that air so heavy? Or is all <laughs> air that heavy? No, it's the... <laughs> It's the quantity of air versus steel within the square area that the Eiffel Tower takes up. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Within that specific shape, the air, because it outnumbers the steel by so yeah, much. Yeah. So if you were to put a box around the Eiffel Tower, the amount of air in there weighs almost as much as the steel itself. Interesting. So I could not pick up the air either. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I'm weak. When the titles end, we're introduced to the character of cartoonist Woody Wilkins, played by Michael Crawford, and dressed as a real-life Condor Man. He stands on a platform about a quarter of a way up the Eiffel Tower and looks down at the bridge ahead through binoculars. On the sidewalk below, he spots his friend Harry, who announces via walkie-talkie that he is in position. <laughs> Unnecessarily. There's, yeah. His friend is doing nothing from down here. He's, yeah. I guess he's here to take photographs promotionally. 
Um, so he was just invited as a photographer, even though he's an agent for the CIA. Presumably this promotional stunt will help sell copies of the Condor Man comic book. Woody, in character as Condor Man, starts monologuing. Who can save Princess Juliet? Held captive by the evil Count Lorca. Who can save the city? Who? Who? This is a job for Condor Man! His costume is a shitty graphic tee and a yellow thermal with goggles. <laughs> That's all he's wearing. It just looks like... Like he just found this at a local store and put it on, do you and remember, that's his full costume. Do you remember the last time somebody found some random articles of clothing and made a superhero costume out of it? No. What's the name of that movie? Hero at Large? Yeah, that's hey. the one. He spreads his man-made wings wide and jumps off the tower, floating safely on the air for a moment until his right wing snaps and he falls into the river Seine. Colin Chilvers, the man responsible for Superman's flying effects in the Reeve films, also provided the effect for Condor Man, even reusing the custom equipment from that film. As a result, the mold did not fit actor Michael Crawford correctly because Christopher Reeve is like nine feet tall. <laughs> they encountered more trouble when they underestimated the strength of the current in the river and Crawford was quickly dragged five to ten feet below the surface. Oh, Lord. He was fished out by a pair of lifeguards and offered to try again, but the director insisted on a stuntman for the final take. Michael Crawford was chosen for this role because of his stunt work on television, where he famously did all of his own stunts. He was sort of a Jackie Chan of a very physical comedy series on the BBC, and he wanted to bring that same work ethic to this film and do all of his own stunts, and he does most of them. But in this case, director Jarrett was like, no, you're not, you're not going again. Someone else is going to do this. With... With all the faults that this film has, I have to say that the flying effect is actually pretty well done. Yeah. yeah I mean, you can see wires in places, but it's it's, it's not, not as bad as it could have been. It's not super noticeable. Yeah. I, I I was I was pretty impressed. And maybe the the low quality of the DVD hid some of that. That's stuff probably as true. Well. Yes. Maybe yeah. that's why this doesn't have a Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to see it high rest. But I, you know, but I was still pretty impressed by it. Like, I mean, it's a clunky outfit that he's got on, but it doesn't look like horrid when and he's also, flying. And also, I have problems with the physics of it. Just oh, that yeah. he's not flapping his wings. He just sort of floats off the ground and yeah. then just hovers in but the air. But he's not gliding like no. it's a paraglider. No, it's not like yeah. it's yeah. high winds carrying him. He's just <laughs> floating there. But flapping, I don't think would physically work either. I mean, like these are like the silly, you but know, that turn is of the, the logic. century, yeah. like right brothers kind of right, know, right, crazy right. contraptions that doesn't work but yeah. the weight of the air beneath him under the eiffel yeah. tower <laughs> it's basically like he's just standing on more of the tower <laughs> we get a comic book pow explosion wipe to woody's desk in harry's apartment as harry brings him a cup of coffee woody is at the drawing board trying to find the flaw in the wings he designed woody claims that if he can't get the wings to work in real life he can't use them in the comic because he always tests everything for accuracy's sake Harry elaborates on this point to explain why we're starting in France in the first place. Okay, so Condor Man's first assignment is to help the French government. And you come here to Paris to stay with me to get the feel of things. Well, fine. But did you have to try to fly off the Eiffel Tower and nearly drown? Obviously, Woody already knows all this, so there's no reason to tell him. Why are you telling me all this? It's plot exposition. It has to go somewhere. <laughs> 
Woody refuses to return to New York because Superman sort of has dibs on the city, even though, as far as I know, Superman's never been to New York, because real cities are a Marvel thing. You would expect a writer of comic books to know (laughs) where Superman operates. He says Condor Man's appeal is in his international heroism. That's why he has to be in another country. He compares Condor Man's feats to Harry's own line of work. Turns out Harry works with the CIA, though he claims he's just a file clerk. We'll learn in actuality he is just a file clerk. I thought this was him being coy. Is the CIA the one that's allowed to operate abroad? CIA can only operate abroad. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody at the agency is Robert Redford. Another reference to Three Days of the Condor, which is where I assume they got the titular bird from. Later, we see Harry checking into the office a little late and meeting with his supervisor, Russ Devlin, played by Dana Elkar. Yeah. Yeah. Russ is on his way to a Geneva meeting and leaves Harry in charge of an upcoming delivery of what he calls the Istanbul Papers. Russ says that the exchange is supposed to happen between two civilians because neither country wants to admit they have spies in Turkey. Because China doesn't want them to have spies in Turkey, specifically, he says. I don't know why China cares if we have spies in Turkey, but apparently it's a big deal. Harry is left in charge of recruiting the civilian for this mission and immediately puts in a call to Woody. Hard cut to Woody and Harry at a train station. Woody is in a trench coat and fedora, and he does the worst Humphrey Bogart impression we've heard so far. Of all the stations in all the world you like, I hate well, I have to say, though, the other guy who was doing the Humphrey Bogart impression is probably the best Humphrey Bogart impersonator. We've had two, and they were both great. Can you recall both of our previous Humphrey Bogart impressions? Well, clearly the man with Bogart's face. Right. Yes, that was the first of the two, chronologically. Smoking a cigarette and looking up at that portrait, thinking Laura was dead, but still in love with her. What was more recent? There was a more recent one. Um, can I get a clue? I'll give you a clue. The name of the person doing the impression is a food. Oh, uh, Kill and Kill Again? Kill and Kill Again. It was Hot Hot Dog dog doing the impression. Hi, sweetheart. You included in the price of the ticket? Before the train leaves, Woody is handcuffed to a briefcase and entrusted with the key. To the briefcase or to the handcuffs? I'm not clear. Uh, mm. I guess the handcuffs. I assumed it was the handcuffs. But it's kind of silly because... Because then the briefcase isn't locked. If the briefcase isn't locked, it doesn't matter that it's handcuffed to him. Right. (laughs) You just open it up and take the stuff out. We see it fall open multiple times. So I think it's the key to the handcuffs. But also, it defeats the purpose of having the handcuffs if you have the key on you. Right. How about just hand him a briefcase? Yeah. Maybe this, if you don't maybe care about is, losing this stuff. I was going to say, maybe it's more that he just doesn't forget the suitcase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's just like, you're an idiot. Here's the key to this. Here's the key to this. Lose both of them so you don't lose this briefcase. Why even give him the key? <laughs> just to be like, the Russian agent will cut your hand off when you get to Istanbul. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> we cut to a small club in Istanbul as Woody enters doing his best impression of a real spy. For some reason, he tosses his cigarette into a platter of food as a waiter is carrying it past him and you expected it to be like one of those oh god i didn't mean to do that moments but he doesn't correct himself it's well, like it, he's just it being a jerk back. yeah like there's no reveal that that mattered he trips over some stairs on the way in and nearly knocks over a waiter holding a flaming shish kebab i guess he does knock him over but he almost ruins it which he technically didn't ruin it 
The angry waiter starts waving the flaming food in Woody's face, and Woody trips backward over the legs of a woman who immediately admits she tripped him on purpose. It seems this is the Russian agent he's supposed to trade assets with. Although she's not supposed to be an agent, she's supposed to be a civilian. Yeah, but I don't feel like he ever really confirms she is the right person. No, he, he doesn't. It seems like it's going to be one of those scenes. I, well, I assumed, because I was really waiting for it to be a, like a you met the wrong person this right. is clearly yeah. not the one but you fell in love with her and you gave her the papers but she was russian and she was supposed to be something else like i was like yeah they never get like a passphrase or anything no, to they're test just like, each oh other you're with. the person i'm supposed to meet yep cool and we're good to go i believe we have something we can give each other oh absolutely but he mistakes this as a romantic I mean, offer i'm a man you're a woman i speak of documents Papers. Papers. Eventually he catches on, but she reminds him that they have to be discreet about the exchange. A waiter stops by to take Woody's order, and he points to the woman's drink and Istanbul Express and orders a double. A double? Nobody orders the double, sir. Okay. Make it a triple. I wanted the joke to be that one of the ingredients is a half of a fatal dose of arsenic or something like that. (laughs) So a triple would auto-kill anybody. Alone again, they introduce themselves. The woman is Natalia, and immediately Woody claims to be a top-level spy, even though the Russians specifically requested a civilian for this job, and he might have just sparked an international incident here. Doesn't he know that? He does. He doesn't care. He's, He's just too excited about being here. And I think he actually thinks he is a spy now. I guess. Just by nature of being entrusted with this mission. The only reason he's there is because he's not a spy, so you'd think he wouldn't say that. Yeah, I guess Harry didn't make it expressly clear that if you say that you're a spy, we will get in trouble. Don't do that, please. The waiter brings by Woody's triple Istanbul Express, and the flame on the top is as tall as the glass. So, do you have a code name? Does the name Condor Man mean anything to you? He brings the drink to his lips and fails several times to blow it out before dousing the flame with his hat. After he takes a sip, Woody exhales a full-force flamethrower blast of fire, and it's a pretty cool effect. Yeah, it looks great. Honestly, on my first take, I was like, oh, wow, I'm surprised they let the actor, like, do that trick where you blow alcohol through a candle, but I think maybe they they couldn't have done that. They must have had just a flamethrower on the side because it's so perfectly still compared to his mouth. Yeah, and he's it's yeah, he's definitely a profile in which this yeah. takes place. But it looks really good. Natalia notices some shady agent characters in the club and makes a move to leave. Specifically, she notices a Chinese agent who then notifies the people who run this place that there are spies in the building and that they need to be eliminated. Woody offers to protect her and is quickly surrounded by angry gangsters. He tries to surrender to them, but in lifting his arms, he accidentally swings his briefcase to knock them out. It's a very drunken master moment as he continues to beat people unconscious seemingly by accident. Yeah, I put I put that he inspector gadgets his way through this <laughs> yeah, situation. Exactly. Yeah. And and I like that conceptually like I like that, you know, drunken master inspector gadget type of of, of humor that he's but I needed that to continue throughout the whole film, and it did not. That's number one problem. Here's my next note. I really like the way they played this whole scene. It's smart physical comedy, but weirdly for the rest of the movie, he seems like a fully capable secret agent with no more clumsy powers. I wanted this to be like the man who knew too little or something like that, where the whole time he's making an ass of himself, but also accidentally saving the day. Yeah. 
The book has a similar problem. We set this character up as kind of a goofy beginner, but from the second chapter on, he's basically just a James Bond type. In the last couple chapters of the book, he just intuits how to fly a plane with no experience, to the point that no one else in the whole cockpit notices that he's not a licensed pilot. He's just like, I looked over here and I saw this switch and I flipped it, and then I did this and then I did that, and I held it up and the plane flew. It's like, okay, maybe it is that easy, but the whole point of this is supposed to be that you're an idiot who's never done this before. Yeah. You should be doing it wrong a little bit. Back to the movie. One henchman throws a knife, which Woody catches in the briefcase, and then he tricks the same henchman into blasting himself in the face with steam from a cappuccino machine. Once Woody has defeated all the bad guys, he's reunited with Natalia and completes the exchange, but it's not really an exchange as much as it's a delivery, because Woody gets nothing in return. But it also doesn't really matter because weirdly Russ even said earlier that this wasn't an important mission. <laughs> That's literally what he says as he's getting in the car. Right. Uh, what about the Istanbul papers? The exchange takes place the day after tomorrow. You can handle that, Harry. They're not important anyway. Before they part ways, he tries to tell her something serious and she interrupts it with a big kiss on the lips before walking out. We cut to Moscow as snow falls on the city. Natalia returns to her apartment at night and is surprised to find Sergei Krakow, played by Oliver Reed, sitting in the shadows of her living room. He seems upset that she went to Istanbul for this exchange, and she says she went to test the Americans who failed her challenge by sending an agent instead of a civilian. Who sent her there? I don't, like, she set this exchange up on her own? I, I think she, I, I was confused, but I think what we're supposed to think is that she's already trying to defect. Okay. And she probably would have defected to a civilian that she could manipulate. Okay. Because she isn't she is a professional agent. I thought she didn't decide to defect until she saw how capable Woody was in the bar in Istanbul. I, I think that that's probably what scared her off was that she thought he may have been an agent. Oh, okay. But in in either case this situation when he this meeting here with Krakow makes it seem like he didn't know she left. Right. And, and she he's wasn't, mad at her. Yeah. And she wasn't supposed to come back. Right. Natalia says that this agent she met was so elite that there isn't even a file on the man. She mentions the only name she got from the agent, which was his code name, Condor Man. Krakow admits that the man seems talented based on how many of the agents in the bar he was able to dispatch on his way out, but it made a scene on the global stage. Now China's upset because everybody knows that they have spies in Turkey. Apparently, Natalia was supposed to accompany Krakow to Monte Carlo to entertain Arab oil sheiks, but now he thinks that she needs a re-education to prove her loyalty. In his home office that night, Woody draws Natalia's face from memory, and we zoom out to reveal he's done many drawings already. Next, he designs a costume for her and invents the character of Laser Lady. We get a sort of crescent-shape clock wipe to the office of Russ Devlin, who wants Harry to explain who Condor Man is. Now, why does Russ Devlin's office look like the Oval Office? Like, at first <laughs> I was like, hold on, where are we? What is happening? Because I thought he was the president all of a sudden. And, and also, was this radial wipe, like, a year later? Because It, it had to be months, at least. Because apparently he's had enough time to publish this comic book yeah. worldwide. Yeah. Well, it's not published yet, but he's written it and it's going to the printers. It comes out very soon. Yeah. Harry tries to explain that Condor Man is a comic character and not a person in real life by comparing him to other comic characters like Donald Duck, Popeye, and Superman. Turns out the reason Russ is asking this question is because a Russian defector has requested Condor Man specifically be assigned to their case, but Russ can't figure out who that even is. 
I want you to go through every file we've got and find out who has been using the code name Condor Man. What's the matter? I think I know. It finally occurs to Harry what a monumental mistake it was to send Woody on the mission. The defector is codenamed The Bear, and Woody seems terrified. He pretends he's reluctant to assist this defector because he's so focused on his work, including characters like Gopher Boy, which sounds like a gender swap of Squirrel Girl, and Sponge Man, who is clearly a precursor to Miss Marvel. No, Spongebob. <laughs> More likely, he's just spooked by the codename The Bear. Apparently, he's already a week away from publishing the first Laser Lady comic. Perry points out that Condor Man can never be a spy if Woody doesn't agree to this mission and test out the physics of the plot himself. So I assumed at this point that he was like a failed comic book writer or, right, you would think. or, or his comics aren't popular, but it seems like he is the Stan Lee of this universe. Or he's only very popular on one military base in Switzerland. <laughs> While Harry tries to convince Woody, we see Russ do a double take at a sketch of Natalia, a.k.a. Laser Lady. Woody is still confused why the bear requested him specifically. Because you've already met her in Istanbul. Natalia Rambova of the KGB. Which is uncomfortably close to Natasha Romanova, a.k.a. Black Widow from the Marvel comics. Woody appears to agree to the mission on one condition. We cut to Russ flipping through the pages of the next Condor Man comic, and he refuses to comply with Woody's unheard demands. Turns out Woody is demanding specific custom equipment with the expensive mission budget. Harry tells Russ if he refuses to comply, they'll have to resort to Plan B. Russ is reluctant, but the defector would be a huge asset, and he eventually approves the expenditure. I think he says specifically that she would be the most important defector in a decade. Right but we never get any implication of what she knows that makes her so important. Plan B. What's plan B, Harry? I don't know. We cut to Yugoslavia, where a giant is roaming the countryside, or at least he looks giant <laughs> compared to the small rocks in this shot. The man is lanky with a big beard and a prosthetic nose and a cane. Who could this be? <laughs> Who? Who? Condor man. <laughs> Owl man. <laughs> Who? He shouts repeatedly for Natalia, and eventually she tumbles out of a bush to greet him. <laughs> Was he just instructed to go to Yugoslavia and shout at bushes? <laughs> this is not a proper meeting place. They're quickly intercepted by a pair of Russian agents and ordered to hand over their weapons, but Woody claims that guns are against his moral code. Do you remember the last time a subordinate of Dana Elkar claimed that guns were against his moral code? <laughs> The last time or the next time? The next time. Do you remember <laughs> the next time? <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It's the A-Team. <laughs> no, it's, it's MacGyver. You don't use guns, MacGyver. You hate them. Suddenly, Woody is firing his cane at the agents as though it were an automatic weapon, but he's a terrible shot, and he hits everything except people with about 200 shots fired. Which is odd, because the body count of this film is extremely high. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason not to just pulverize these two. When the smoke clears, one of the two agents leaps for Woody, and Woody cracks him over the head with the cane. The other agent is weirdly quiet after the hailstorm of bullets. Maybe the filmmakers decided to cut the shot of his bleeding corpse from this scene. <laughs> They both leave the area and head for Woody's Romany van in their Romany costumes, which is not the word they use to describe them. We cut to a mansion in Monte Carlo as Krakow arrives home. 
He receives word on the failed ambush and authorizes activation of the Proknoviach and puts Morovich in charge of them. We see Morovich accept the assignment and then turn to camera to reveal a glistening silver eye. You think it's a contact lens? Yes, I'm certain it is. Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty good. Yeah, it looks pretty good, and it also disappears halfway through the film, which oh. is what makes me think it's a contact lens. There you go. I don't have any specific behind well, the scenes information. I didn't think he actually had, like, a metal eye. No, for sure. But <laughs> but after a few scenes, it's suddenly an eye patch, and I feel like it was like, this I can is... fucking put this on anymore. So. Well, that's yeah. what I was going to say is, like, I'm surprised because in 1981, you know, contact lenses were right. probably not... I mean, they were still probably made of glass at that point. I don't know what they were made of, but I do recall in our scanners review that Michael Ironside had to wear contact lenses that were just white for the final scene and that he needed like literally like cornea surgery at the end of the movie because they scratched his eyeballs. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, I mean, it must have been ridiculously uncomfortable. Yeah. We cut to a marketplace in Polovnia, Yugoslavia. The entire bustling square goes dead quiet when they hear car engines on the horizon. When they confirm by sight that it's the Proknoviach, they all run for cover, not wanting to be caught in the street by the KGB's elite squad of modified Porsches. A kid peeks through the blinds to watch them pass through town, and Morovich snaps open his helmet to glare at the boy with his silver eye, scaring him away. The cars split up to search town as Natalia and Woody arrive, and she is instantly suspicious of the silence. The cars follow them, zigzagging down a mountain road, when Woody finally spots them in his rear view, and it's game time. We cannot outrun them in this old truck. You have a point there. Woody flips a switch and the cab lowers out of the truck and into the Condor Mobile, which blasts out of the false shell of a truck, which is then left blocking the road. The Condor Mobile is a modified Nova Sterling kit car, further modified by the CIA to include lasers, rockets for added speed, and other toys. Um, every time I see them do something like it, this in the film, like obviously I'm questioning the fact that the CIA would spend this amount right. of money on these silly toys for this untrained uh, operative, you know, just for one defector. But then I'm also upset that the movie spent this kind of money making these silly props and doing crazy car chases. <laughs> well, <with them. laughs> I, I think it's funny that they not only agreed to make the car, but they like hired an artist to put the design of condor man on it like put a wrap on this car it's like no no you're just testing whether the feasibility you don't it doesn't need to be designed like your character uh did you look up the actual car that this is based off like i know you said it but did you look up pictures and stuff of it i did not know it opens up like a cockpit yeah like it's like this whole the whole top of the car lifts up and that's how you get in apparently because it's a kit car they like mail you all the parts and you assemble the whole thing yourself and that's how this thing came together. The Condor Mobile drives right under a logging truck, Clark Griswold style, but when the Porsches follow them anyway, Woody breaks out the rearview flamethrowers, which set a couple of hoods on fire and blatantly kill at least two of the Proknoviach drivers, who are sent flying off the mountain and explode in balls of fire against jagged rocks. Yeah, like, they, there's no way they survive. No, no, they're, no, they're totally dead. They wrecked some decent cars, too. Yeah. I mean, the, this whole group is all Porsches. Yeah. And they're, like, driving it down a rocky mountain and then crashing into, like, a 30-degree angle. The villain cars decide to come at Woody from both sides simultaneously, so Woody flips a switch to engage a ramp on the front of the Condor Mobile, which redirects the head-on collision, flying into the side of the car behind him, totaling them both. The only surviving bad guy car is Morovich's, and he quickly catches up with Woody. 
When he snaps open his helmet again, Natalia recognizes him as Morovich. They speed through the narrow streets of a small town, occasionally colliding with each other. The Condor Mobile makes its way to a dock and blasts full speed off the end of it into a lake. Morovich skids to a stop, but the Condor Mobile transforms into a speedboat and makes a clean getaway. Krakow is livid to learn from Morovich that Natalia has escaped with Woody. Morovich is now wearing an eye patch because I assume the silver contact lens was damaging his cornea like what happened to Michael Ironside on scanners earlier this season. Uh, I wanted to say uh, before they, they get to the pier, uh, when the Condormobile sh- drives down the ramp towards the pier, Morovich shoots by them yeah. and he swings that car around. It's this really amazing oh, turn. yeah. Like when he misses the turn that they yeah, made. but yeah. he spins the car right around and doesn't stop. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. There's such amazing driving in some of this movie, and they're both going down a road that's like just barely wider than the width of the car. Right. Mm-hmm. I was also gonna say, do you remember the last time uh, spies were being chased down the narrow roads of a town? I have to assume this would be uh, for your eyes only. Yeah, there's even a more blatant reference coming up later. It's the same driver <laughs> doing most of this work too. He choreographed all the car chase scenes in this. He was a regular Bond uh, choreographer for car chases. Krakow is especially upset because he's just learned that this elite world-class agent is actually a buffoon cartoonist civilian. He's an amateur, do you hear? He is not an agent of the CIA. He is a writer of comic books. Morovich begs for another chance. Krakow crosses the office with a writing crop and slaps generally at the shape of Italy on a map to indicate where Condor Man is likely to be found now. Around about there should be the place. (laughs) Do you guys recall the last time we saw Oliver Reed angrily swatting at a map of Italy? (laughs) The big red one? No, No. it was the other one. Uh, It's another war movie. Um uh line of the desert yes i was gonna say your hint was going to be arguably italy (laughs) (laughs) that could be that could be could be anywhere Hmm. krakow suggests that his commander Vito reach out to someone named barzini to collect on an old debt we cut to a windmill wipe in italy woody and natalia are climbing hillsides around some step farming and find a large stone barn to hide in overnight the next morning armed men begin surrounding the place Natalia is tucking Woody under some hay bales when the men burst in to arrest them. How were they found? I don't know how they were found, and I don't know why she thought hay was going to be comfortable to sleep under. Well, and it seems like there's a scene missing. It seems like this was the let's get to know each other in in the barn at night Yeah, we should have talked about our lives in here. Yeah. Too racy for Disney. Or they were just like, nobody gives a shit about this guy. In jail, they're given a newspaper and learn from the front page that they've been framed for killing a man in Monte Carlo. I assume that's what the Barzini point was, that they they had someone in a high enough place to frame them for murder. In Monte Carlo? We've never even been to Monte Carlo. Uh, I I have. I I wanted to tell you to be like, uh, yeah, no, I I work in Monte Carlo for for Krakow. I'm I'm there all the time. They learn that Krakow's men are en route to collect them, and Woody wonders aloud what Gopher Boy would do in this situation. (laughs) Hours later, the guard awakens to the arrival of a police inspector from Monaco. The prisoners are awoken and escorted out of the jail. As the inspector handcuffs everybody together, Woody threatens the man with his American citizenship. The inspector pulls Woody close and drops his accent completely, well within earshot of the guard. Yeah. Hey, ugly American. Remember plan B? This is it. 
Tony. So I wasn't clear. Yeah. Is plan was Plan B planned after they got arrested, or yes. was being arrested part of Plan B? No, I think Plan B was the involvement of Harry in this mission personally. Okay. And I don't think that was the plan when they first mentioned Plan B, but I think right. that became Plan B. But I also moving forward, I think that Gopher Boy is based on Harry. Yeah, no, Harry is definitely Gopher Boy. And so when he says, what would Gopher Boy do? And then Gopher Boy walks in right yeah. then, it's like, that's that's why he's making that point there. I just kind of like the idea that Plan B involved getting them arrested and it had nothing to do with Krakow. Right, yeah. <laughs> so so the CIA faked to the murder to get them yeah. arrested? Yeah. It's just like, we just need them held overnight somewhere that we can come get them in the They'll morning. They'll be safe in the jail, <laughs> at least. Exactly. <laughs> The guard is like three feet away from them, and they're taking zero precaution to prevent him from overhearing their scheme. They all hop into Harry's 1969 Fiat. As they wedge into the back seat, Woody asks if Russ knows about the plan, and Harry implies that they borrowed the plan from one of his comic books, specifically Bazooka Boy meets Hannibal Smith. Great! One of my favorites! Presumably these are two original characters of Woody's, but coincidentally, a couple years later, Hannibal Smith would come to exist as a member of TV's A-Team. Yeah. On their way out of town, they're spotted by Morovich and slam it into reverse. Morovich and his men give chase. They hop out of the Fiat and accidentally join a bridal party en route to a wedding. They take a seat with the family in the church just as Morovich and his men sneak in from the back. Natalia stands and objects to the wedding, to draw the attention of the crowd, and to cause chaos so they can escape. Unfortunately, she basically has to ruin this guy's life by claiming that he's married to her with several children at home. Come home, Pietro, please. For the sake of the children. Well, liar. She's nothing but a liar. She's crazy. I wish I was. When the groom tries to fight Natalia over her accusations, she points to her uncle Luigi, Morovich, and says that Morovich won't let Pietro hurt her. Morovich punches the groom and the entire family joins the fight to avenge him. Natalia, Harry, and Woody sneak out the side while everyone else fights with each other, including like two old ladies who were presumably came to this wedding together yeah. on the same team. Maybe they're from each side of the family and they've, they've been threatening to fight all day. We cut to the office of Krakow where he is reading samples of Woody's work. Right now he's looking at an amazing Bazooka Boy comic while Morovich tries to predict Woody's next move on a map of the Alps. Krakow explains to Morovich that every move Woody has made or will make can be found in the pages of his comic books. Here is a truck that turns into a racing car. Here, a car that turns into a hovercraft. Genius weapons, exploding rockets. It's all here. We cut to Switzerland in the shadow of the Matterhorn as the trio of good guys arrive by horse and carriage at their hotel for the night. On their way to the hotel, they're looked at by local children and one of them is holding a comic book. Once they get to the room they plan on sharing tonight, Harry hops in the shower and Woody passes out on a bed. Natalia steps outside on their balcony to look up at the Matterhorn and then down at the growing crowd of children, each of them now holding a comic book. When she comes outside, to see what all the fuss is about, the children seem to recognize her as someone named Laser Lady. You are her, aren't you? Of course it's her. It is. It isn't. It is. Natalia recognizes herself in Woody's illustration, and more importantly, she recognizes his name on the cover as the publisher of these comics, Woodrow Wilkins Publications. I don't think, like, 
these drawings are pretty simplistic. It, yeah. Like, I don't know that anybody would look at that and be like, well, that's definitely you. Yeah. But maybe this hairstyle is unique in this part of the world and she is still wearing it the way the girl on the cover is wearing it. Yeah. But it's still like, I feel like that's a, that's such a leap for a yeah. kid to be like, this is definitely you. Here's what I think happened. I think Woody sold all these comics on their way up to the hotel. And they're, they're like, well, she's with the guy who sold these to us, so she's probably Laser Lady. They're clearly sold around the world if Krakow has No, them. he's only sold 18 copies, and they're all to these kids who speak English in Switzerland. Harry steps outside to check on Natalia, claiming he just jumped out of the shower, but his hair is bone dry. She wants to know who Harry plays in the comics. Harry, who are you? What do you mean? Woody is Condor Man. I am Laser Lady. Who are you? How'd you find out? He's obviously Gopher Boy, but he doesn't feel like answering her, and they take a walk. Maybe he's embarrassed about being Gopher Boy. That night, Woody and Natalia dance at a nearby restaurant, and Harry seems to have made an Italian girlfriend. Natalia seems to be coming to terms with her feelings for Woody. Italian girlfriend or Swiss girl? She's, it Where sounds like she's speaking Italian. I don't, I don't, oh. I don't know Swiss, but it doesn't sound like uh, that that chef character to me. <laughs> Does he speak Swiss or Swedish? Swedish. <laughs> there's like Swiss German, but there's also obviously a lot of Italian because they're right there. In the yeah. Natalia seems to be coming to terms with her feelings for Woody and reads off a list of things that he said she would enjoy in America. She tells him she would like the ability to call him and invite him over and say, come over and be democratic with me. I'll bring the dip if you bring the Dostoevsky. That's a yes. Later we see the three of them climbing the mountains and Woody is wearing all white and red with blonde curly hair looking almost exactly like William Catt from Greatest American Hero. He leads Harry and Natalia to a nearby ski lift and finds boxes left behind by Russ containing his personal ski lift device, which is rocket-powered and can be operated even if the ski lift is turned off by actually climbing the wire with an engine. Harry admits that he's afraid of heights, so Woody offers to ride with him to the top. I don't understand this switch where, at the beginning, Harry was exasperated and annoyed Yeah. because Woody was such a bad agent, and now Harry, who is in the CIA and is a field agent at the moment, is afraid of heights, and Woody has to, like, give him a big hug to get him to the top of this mountain. Also, why didn't they have three of Right, the... yeah, there's only two of these things. So it's like, we were going to have to double up anyway. Are they tied to these things? For the production? Just... In, the, in the scene, they are not. They're just holding on to them. But I have to assume for the movie, they were braced in. Well, yeah, but, like... In terms of how these things are supposed to function, are they supposed to be tethered to it? Because this is this is a weird form of transportation if you're not tethered to it. Well, I think it's just a one-off spy tool. This isn't like. Uh, oh, okay. I was unclear that that was like. Oh, no. I just these are to these have... are an invention of Condor Man. Oh. Yes. Okay. Because I'm like, who would do this? I mean, I would. You would? Yeah. I don't know. These things seem bonkers to me. Natalia follows behind them, and from the top of the mountain, Krakow points them out and instructs Morovich to shoot Woody down, so he does. Woody and Harry land side by side in the snow like dead snow angels. Woody! Woody! 
Natalia screams and notices too late that Krakow's men are waiting for her at the top of the mountain. Krakow flies Natalia away in a helicopter, and they swoop over the bodies of her friends to make certain they haven't moved. A point on IMDb trivia claims that Oliver Reed wanted to get an authentic scared reaction from her and pretended to push her out of the helicopter here, but as with most helicopter inserts involving the major cast, it's clear that the helicopter is actually stationary on the ground, so I have to assume this is a made-up factoid where someone was yeah. just so impressed by the acting that they were like, that was real. I'm going to go tell IMDb it was real. Maybe, maybe Oliver Reed just wanted to get a reaction just by... I'm just going to aggressively grab you Yeah, you that, didn't expect it. That might have been the point that he's just shoving her around and she's pissed off about it. But she never seems to break character in this moment to me. Once the chopper is left, Woody and Harry sit up from their holes. We cut back to Monte Carlo with an establishing shot and by mistake, I think, we don't get a location title card for it. Like every time we change countries, it says at the bottom of the screen where we are now but they don't do that when we go back to monte carlo you just recognize it because of what monte carlo looks like natalia is being held in a room and ignoring the complimentary breakfast krakow <laughs> enters to speak with her about how good it was of him to spare her life even though her attempts to defect are clear he's willing to lie to his superiors that she was attempting to kidnap condor man on his orders they will be placing the blame for this failure on morovich who will have to die for their mistakes Natalia is somehow allowed again to play hostess to Krakow's oil baron friends. He tells Natalia there's no use in trying to escape because this property is an impregnable fortress. And if you have any design on escape, this comfortable villa is an impregnable fortress. Do you guys remember the last time someone called a building an impregnable fortress? Oh, that one on the side of the cliff? No. Was it Kagemusha? I'll give you a clue. Peter Ustinov is the one who called it an impregnable fortress. The great Muppet caper. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. It's at the Mallory Gallery, a virtually impregnable fortress. Many miles from here. <laughs> Natalia's job at tomorrow's party is to keep the oil ministers happy and appearing happy herself. Back at the Matterhorn Hotel, Harry informs Woody that Natalia is in Monte Carlo with Krakow. Woody is already planning a rescue mission, but Harry says that they've been taken off the case. I can't go back. Not without Natalia. I love her, Harry. I know. Woody begs for two more days to rescue his girlfriend. For some reason, he's still allowed to use the company credit card to order ridiculous inventions, even after being taken off the case. We cut to the Grand Casino in Monte Carlo, and it looks like that building that Loki broke into with another dude's eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> just as krakow enters the casino he is passed by a sheik receiving a standing ovation from the crowd he's being followed by dozens of servants carrying briefcases presumably full of cash what's happened how oh, amazing sergey amazing this arab he took the house to the limit what is that five million francs so spoiler alert this is woody <laughs> pretending to be a sheik character yeah he's been taken off the case but they gave him enough money to win 5 million francs at this casino and like 60 extras to play his bearers to bring all these right. briefcases of money out of the casino. Or they pay the casino to pretend that he did that. But these people standing around at the casino would know if he didn't just win this money. Right. Yeah, that's all really weird. I guess I never thought about that. That 
he would have actually had to win that money to make that scene work. Yeah, because otherwise, at least one of these people would have been like, no, that's not what happened, Grokov. <laughs> but nobody said that. He's a big fat phony. <laughs> <laughs> the man at the casino claims to Krakow that this chic character is the seventh richest man in the world after striking it rich in oil less than a year ago. Actually, a few months ago, I think he says. Krakow orders that this man be invited to the party tomorrow. We cut back to the Monte Carlo mansion the next day, just as the Sheik is arriving at the party. Another guest asks the Sheik if he thinks drilling in the North Sea will compare to Middle Eastern supplies, and the Sheik laughs it off. Do you guys recall the last time we discussed North Sea oil drilling? <laughs> <laughs> is it folks? It's folks. I already mentioned it, but the chic hair is being played by Michael Crawford, and it's very unfortunate brown face makeup with an overtly stereotypical nose prosthetic. The chic moves through the party to find another chic to talk to, and as they chat, it becomes clear that the second man is Harry in disguise. Woody gets Harry to agree to five minutes until he plans on returning with Natalia to make their escape. Harry turns his wrist to look at the clock and dumps a glass of champagne on the carpet because the screenwriters forgot which of these people is a CIA agent and which one is a buffoon. The Sheik approaches Natalia in the backyard of the party and begins flirting with her. He quickly reveals himself as Woody, and she's ecstatic. For a moment, she goes along with Krakow's lie that she never intended to defect and was just trying to capture an elite agent. Krakow catches them together, and amazingly, he doesn't recognize Woody, even though Woody has taken off the glasses part of his disguise and has blonde eyebrows. Krakow leads Natalia away, and she calls back to the Sheik. If you bring the dip, I'll bring the Dostoevsky. And Woody remembers, as he explained to us earlier, That's a yes. So why did she put up the front now and then just change her mind? Because Dark Knight of the Soul, that's what that's what the next note says on the How to Write a Screenplay book. Oh. It has to be, <laughs> it lasts like four seconds right. of him thinking that she doesn't want to come back with him. And then immediately she changes her mind back. When she could have been honest in private right, and then lied in public, but she did it the other way around. It's an opportunity that they that Krakow could have been closer with yeah. an earshot, so she has to pretend. But he doesn't know that Krakow is there, so he yeah. thinks she's being honest. Right. That would be better. The five minutes are up, and Harry detonates a row of explosives across the back porch. Woody drags Natalia upstairs toward her room in the mansion. Harry runs out the front door and steals a Rolls Royce in the driveway. Shots are fired after him, but he escapes down the street. Now, he stole this Rolls Royce, right? That's not the car they came with. Or is it? Uh, I am not sure. Okay. I can't remember if this is the car they got into outside the casino the night before. Maybe uh, it is. I would say that it probably is only because of the line that comes later. Yeah, he, uh, that makes sense. Shots are fired at Harry, but he escapes down the street in the car. Woody continues leading Natalia up flight after flight of stairs, and eventually they find themselves on a balcony near the top of the building. Woody whips off his chic costume to reveal that he's been in the Condor Man outfit under it this entire time. Wings and all. And while you think it might be a better looking Condor Man outfit than what he had at the beginning of the film, you'd be wrong. <laughs> it looks just as shitty, except now he has yellow gloves and his yellow mask comes with a bird beak. But the rest of it still looks like pajamas for some reason. He spreads his Condor Man wings wide and invites her to jump with him to safety. He tells her to climb onto his back so they can fly together. Again, Krakow and Morovich fire on them, but nobody hits anybody. 
Morovich is ordered after them, and he takes more henchmen to pursue Condor Man in a group of speedboats. Natalia says her grip is loosening, but Woody is still looking for Harry and a special signal. Harry drives the Rolls-Royce right out onto the docks and gives it an affectionate tap as he climbs out. The Rolls-Royce continues moving forward toward the water, and Harry makes a half-assed attempt to stop it. That's why they call it a Rolls. Ah. <laughs> we hear a few bars of Rule Britannia as the Rolls-Royce sinks below the surface of the water, and Harry watches depressed. Out of his chic costume now, but still sporting big bushy eyebrows for comedic effect. Harry spots Woody and Natalia in the air and coaches them down to the dock. This also doesn't seem necessary. They shouldn't have even waited for Harry. They could have easily just come down and landed here. Right. I, I guess they were trying to go back to the beginning of the movie where Harry was supposed to be doing something Some kind on of a spotter for him while he's flying. All three heroes rush to a nearby boat and snap on life jackets and helmets, most likely to aid in disguising them when they are replaced with stunt people for most of this next scene. Right on cue, a Condor speedboat blasts out onto the water with three passengers aboard. But he left the wings. He did. He doesn't he did, need them. He just drops them on the ground. Some, someone can find those wings. It's okay. They suck. They didn't even work jumping off the Eiffel Tower before. He's passing on the torch. He, there is a oh, okay. new Condor man now. Oh, is that how it works? Mm-hmm. It would, it would, that would have been great to just, at the ending scene, just Krakow coming in on the wings. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. The Prokoviach Brigade are ordered to follow our heroes out to sea. What follows is quite a long boat chase. The bad guys start firing rockets at the Condor boat, so Woody climbs into the back and tilts up an insane-looking laser gun to fire on their pursuers. It almost resembles the tennis ball gun from the final obstacle course of American Gladiators, where there was like a big glass circle on it as you would aim it at things. You remember that, guys? I remember it. I do. I, I disagree. <laughs> it looked exactly like it. I think it's the same prop. <laughs> Whoever did the visual effects on this movie actually deserves some appreciation. I didn't mention it before, but when the animated Condor Man was flying over a fountain in the opening credits, he had a reflection in the water, even though he was animated. And it was distorted with the surface of the water. It looked really good. Later in the film, when the Condor Mobile is speeding along the mountain road, the blue glow is added to the exhaust pipes, and it looks fully authentic in several shots. It looks like there's blue flames coming out of the back of the car. Now, as Woody fires a laser at the people behind them, the laser beam, too, has a reflection in the water, and it looks real. The lasers are demolishing these bad guy boats handily, and very quickly there's only one boat left following them. When one of the lasers reflects off the water, we hear a familiar sound effect. I think it's like a star trek sound as the water is as the laser beam deflects the lasers even have a reflection on the shiny decks of the boat as they pass low overhead i just was very impressed with all the detail that they put into these lasers they could have just sketched lines into the shot. right right they, they went above and beyond eventually woody takes out the last of the boats following them and the final explosion is the biggest we can see the dummies of the boat's drivers tossed clear of the wreckage it's obvious that Woody has just killed about 25 more people in this scene. As a reminder, he's an illustrator by trade, and completely unfazed by all these kills. Just when all looks safe, one last boat emerges from the coastline, and it's Krakow and Morovich at the wheel. Woody starts firing his laser again, but it reminds me of Last Crusade when Sean Connery is shooting through the back of their own plane because these laser beams are clearly passing through their boat on the way to missing Krakow's boat. Sean, I'm sorry! They got us. 
A series of rockets narrowly miss the Condor boat, and one of Woody's lasers manages to start a fire on the other one. As the Condor boat comes around the corner, they find the Skylift, a helicopter dangling a hook to lift the Condor boat out of the water. Krokov orders Morovich to return to base, but Morovich ignores the order, so Krokov jumps overboard. Morovich tries to crash directly into the Condor boat, but it's lifted out of the water in front of him, and he continues forward, crashing dead-on into a rock wall and exploding, which is why the guy steering the boat should be the one with depth perception. Don't <laughs> let Morovich do this. Our heroes laugh at Krokov, frustrated in the water, and we cut to Dodger Stadium, Los Angeles. Because yeah, that, that outfit that he was wearing does not look like it would be easy to swim in. No, I, I agree. The Dodgers have just scored a home run, and everyone is celebrating. Woody celebrates by kissing Natalia. As they all take their seats again, Harry advises Natalia to look up at the Goodyear blimp, which is broadcasting a strobing message and electric lights. Welcome, Natalia, to the USA. It's like the opposite of witness protection. Witness endangerment. <laughs> Announcing to a stadium full of people and potentially a nationwide television audience that a Natalia recently escaped to America, and she's here at the game tonight. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a message on a Goodyear blimp? It was a Patreon episode, if that helps. I don't. I believe President Nixon delivered a message via Goodyear blimp at the end of Cold Turkey. Do you guys recall what that message would be? I don't even recall I, yeah, what Cold remember. Turkey was. Cold Turkey <laughs> is the town that quit smoking. Oh. And at the end, they win the prize and the president shows up. But he doesn't say any words because he didn't want to pay a Nixon impersonator. He just points at a blimp in the sky. And the message reads... Eagle Rock is home to the new missile plant. Because that was, that was the prize. part of the prize. I mean, they all got money was the prize, but they also put this missile plant there because the town had become popular again. We cut inside the blimp where a very important person, unclear who, is demanding that Condor Man specifically be assigned to his case. Russ Devlin is trying to talk him out of employing a cartoonist in place of an agent, but the man insists. Russ radios Harry below and Harry whispers a mission in Woody's ear. We freeze frame on a smile crossing Woody's face. Eventually, the freeze frame tips forward to reveal the big brass logo from the start of the film, and the movie is over. Yay! Book changes. The book is called The Game of X. It starts with a similar scene. A layabout everyman character is recruited by his intelligence expert bestie to take part in a secret mission for the government. After a rocky start, the rest of the story plays like a very straightforward spy novel, with no further references to any absence of expertise on the protagonist's part. He is not a cartoonist. There is no Condor Man. He's just Agent X, and the love interest and the defector are two separate characters in the book. Comic book sequel. Whitman Comics published a Condor Man comic to coincide with the film's release, which mostly told the story as it happens in the film, except that Dana Elkar's Russ Devlin character is African-American in the comics. It was followed by a sequel story about Krakow and Morovich making efforts to kidnap Natalia from America, where she is now Woody's fiancée. Condor Man's inventions are being assembled by a fake toy company run by the CIA. So Morovich survived that explosion. Pretty impressive. I imagine he has two silver eyes now. Like, they honestly thought that this was going to spur, like, a, a whole following of they Condor thought, Man? Well, the Superman movies were doing gangbusters. They thought Condor Man was going to be just their Superman. Yeah, but he's not... An established character? He's, well, he's not an established character, but, I mean, this was them trying to establish it. I get that, but he's not, 
really a superhero. I mean, I guess he's maybe more akin to a Batman. It's it's just a it's a lame spy movie. It's there's there's almost no superhero element to it. But at I all. also don't find this movie very um, appealing to kids. I agree because I feel like spy movies specifically are are more geared towards adults because you know the intrigue. Like it's not. It's it's not as actiony and 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 goofy or fun or the only thing I think I appeals know. to the kids is the like Rocky and Bullwinkle esque nature of the violence, which is that like people being burned alive. In a but car yeah, that, that's the thing though is that we don't we don't see like the you know the the guy whose face is blackened from an explosion afterwards. No, they're clearly dead. All these people are dead along yeah. the way. Nobody survives something that should have killed a person on screen. Yeah, I, I think that. I would have liked an Inspector Gadget esque movie, yeah. where where he's bumbling through, but somehow getting the job done, right? In, like in, nude bomb style. Yeah, um, yeah. Because you know, even even Maxwell Smart isn't a great agent, right? But I I I, I still believe in him to get the job done. Yeah, because um, he's a professional. But uh, the the fact that that he's not a professional spy. And I was like, okay, so that's how this is gonna be. It's gonna be he's gonna be goof, goofy and, and yeah. But then he's like super capable. All yeah, of a I sudden. wanted more of these like Jackie Chan fights where it's like, like he's it looks like he's doing stuff on accident and it's just taking everybody out and he's just as shocked as we are. Yeah. But but I think if you did the Inspector Gadget, it would be more appealing to kids. Yeah, like, yeah, you could, totally. you could have, sure. you know, you could even have like, uh, like a Penny esque character. Right. Yeah. To for the kids to like kind of latch onto. But in this movie, Condor Man, the Disney film Condor Man, the titular hero kills more people than James Bond did in his last outing. Like, it's very strange that they're just letting him murder all these people. But, and there's so much opportunity, I think, because the CIA actually, like, fulfills his request for these, right. these uh, you know, cars and boats and, and whatnot. I'm like, you could have put the ridiculous gadgets in them. But they, they really weren't very weird you know it's just like no it's a car and it's got a weapon on it yeah and and half the time the weapon on his vehicle was a laser because it requires zero props during production it's literally just a you just need a gun that's basically just a lever that you point at things there was so much missed opportunity though because it could have been like oh it was just like in this one episode or not episode in this one um issue where i did this that or the other thing and yeah. there were these crazy robot arms that came out and like grabbed the guy behind me. you know like you're missing the opportunity to have those silly like realizations that connect it back to you know fantasy yeah and we also aside from laser lady don't see him incorporating what they're doing into his comic work which i feel like they could have instead of having their downtime be at some club in switzerland yeah it could have been him sketching things at their hotel room from their adventures that day you know like just involve the comic book artist part of it more on both sides that that the comic books are inspiring the action and that the action is inspiring the comic like peter parker takes his own photographs right exactly but yeah i i don't like this movie (laughs) i won't watch it again no it was awful it was a big thumbs down i think it could have been really funny I don't know if it was the casting that was the problem too. I feel like Michael Crawford is the wrong person for this. Was he ADR'd the entire yes, movie? But it is his voice. Okay. So I think um, he was, because he's British, I think he was doing an American accent that maybe didn't 
fit their standards and maybe they had him come back and do a different one mm. or a more exaggerated one. Um, and so he is 80 yard for most of the film. Yeah. Cause I, when I was looking him up, uh, to you know get more information about him i was like wait who is he in wally <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, okay okay i get that it that makes more sense who was he in wally we'll see we haven't gotten to that part yet okay all right thumbs down thumbs down yeah it's a thumbs down i was really excited to see this because i i only had memories of the car and the wingsuit and so i thought that that was going to play much more into this film than it did you know what? It's funny because the, the characters in this movie that I like are Oliver Reed, because I almost always like Oliver Reed, and the Harry character. Yeah. The James Hampton guy. The, those are the people that, that I actually like enjoyed the performances from. But Michael Crawford, like, it was so inconsistent that I couldn't really latch onto his character. And also, there's no personality. There's no background to yeah. it. It's literally just action, 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 and we never get a feel for who he is as a human being. Like, I feel like we know Natalia better than we know him at the end of this movie. I think that another movie that does this kind of concept but does it better is Romancing the Stone. Sure. Where she's drawing on her book knowledge yeah. of the stories, the made-up stories that she wrote to go, this is just like what happened in dot, dot, right. dot. I know how to help get do handle this situation. Right. And in that case also, at the end of the film, we see the adventures she's gone on inspiring her next novel. Right. Where's this going letterboxed? Oh, it's not good. No. Um, I have this one at 96 out of 104. Okay. It is below hard country and above home sweet home. Wait, I, I have it much higher. <laughs> you loved it, huh, Rick? I I guess I did. Uh, I have it at 55, uh, which puts it below King of the Mountain, but above kill and kill again um when i first put it on my list i realized i had it in 102 out of 104 i was like that seems wrong and i kept bumping it up as we were talking about it and it it wound up in 86th so i have it in 86th out of 104 which is just under force five and just above pinball summer as much as i dislike this movie i would probably watch it again I would if there were an HD pass on like Disney Plus or something like that. I'm not going to watch this DVD again for sure. And I can't imagine that there's a lot of people clamoring for this to get a Blu-ray. Right. But I mean, maybe there is. Uh, Going Ape finally got a Blu-ray after yeah, we talked about it. that one was funny. <laughs> right. But <laughs> I just mean these movies that, that I've heard more people talk about Condor Man than I have heard about Going Ape. Uh, yeah, well. and somehow somehow going <laughs> ape made it to blu-ray first it, to, to be fair most of those people are me that's true <laughs> but there's also not a going ape happy meal toy and a pixar short true but there fucking should be <laughs> our director here was charles jarrett this was his second consecutive disney feature after last season's last flight of noah's ark so two disney movies with protagonists who aren't great at flying <laughs> his most celebrated work is probably mary queen of scots which landed five oscar nominations but won zero Jarrett's next film is another spy film called the amateur writer mark sturdivant has only one other writing credit a single episode of beretta after that it was mostly assistant directing credits a decade later including 188 episodes of frasier 
He was basically the the AD for the entire run of that series. The novelist was Robert Sheckley. He's had many stories adapted into segments on anthology TV series over the years. His novel, The Man in the Water, was adapted into 1963's Escape from Hell Island. His novel, Dead Run, was adapted into a film of the same name. But most importantly, his novel, Immortality Incorporated, was adapted into Free Jack. Yes. He wrote the book that became Free Jack. Nice. But if that was another suggested situation, he might have just been like, a guy crashed a race car. And then the rest of the movie is completely different. Right. Because Free Jack is the perfect movie. Yes. It it wins the synopsis game by a long shot. (laughs) So Condor Man and Free Jack are adapted from the same novelist's work. Also, apparently, Immortality Inc. was adapted first into a 1969 episode of a sci-fi anthology series called out of the unknown i'd be interested to see that how the 1969 produced version of free jack looks (laughs) uh uncredited writing here from mickey rose uh mickey rose is mostly comedy writing credits for television sid caesar tim conway dean martin the odd couple smothers brothers etc but he also wrote woody allen's bananas he's credited with writing horror film student bodies released the same day in theaters as condor man and he has 982 credits as a writer on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. The music here is from Henry Mancini. He is a longtime Blake Edwards collaborator who wrote the Peter Gunn theme and the Pink Panther theme. We heard a bit of the Gunn theme in Blues Brothers last year. He also scored Little Miss Marker, A Change of Seasons, Backroads, and SOB for us. And he's back later this season scoring Mommy Dearest before teaming up with Edwards again for Victor Victoria next season. He later scored Santa Claus the Movie, Life Force, sunset and ghost dad cinematographer charles f wheeler was the dp on cold turkey coincidence i think so (laughs) silent running freaky friday cat from outer space chomps and our previous disney charles jarrett film last flight of noah's ark he's back later this season lighting the pursuit of db cooper editor gordon d brenner was the editor on pete's dragon the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again, and both of last season's Disney live actions, Noah's Ark and Herbie Goes Bananas. Stunt coordinator Remy Julian previously worked on The Italian Job and several James Bond titles, but he was the one coordinating all the car chases here. Michael Crawford was Woody Wilkins. He's Cornelius Hackle in Hello Dolly, and consequently shows up in Wally via footage from Hello Dolly. Uh. He might be best known for playing the titular role in the first run of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. So I heard this guy singing for a lot of my childhood because my mom listened to that original cast recording of Phantom of the Opera for a long time. But he played the Phantom. He was the first Phantom. Across the Pond, he's probably best known for his appearances as Frank Spencer on the series Some Mothers Do Avum, but there's not much else I recognized. Oliver Reed played Krakow. He previously appeared with Michael Crawford in Michael Winner's The Jokers, where they play sibling jewel thieves who set about stealing the crown jewels because they want to be famous, not because they want the jewels, which sounds like it could be a fun movie. But they played brothers before this. He appeared earlier this season in the dual role of Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype. We've also seen him in Lion of the Desert. He was in The Devils, which lost our Patreon poll for that month. He's also in Burnt Offerings, The Who's Tommy, I always think of him as Bill Sykes in 1968's Oliver, which played on loop in our house growing up. My favorite from him has to be Vulcan from Terry Gilliam's The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yeah. Uh, and his famous last role from Gladiator. Right. In uh, which he died during the production. Right. I guess he, he literally died in a drinking contest with a bunch of sailors. 
That's that's <laughs> how he died. He went to a bar during a break in the production and he drank, I think they said his bar tab was something like $490, $590. And he drank all these sailors under the table, beat a bunch of them in arm wrestling competitions, and then he died of a heart attack. Jesus. There in the bar. I mean, that's probably where he wanted to go anyway. But I love that he got such a great role in Baron Munchausen toward the yeah. end of his career. Because if you saw this, you would think this guy was probably about to not be in much more things. And he got to, that's probably my favorite performance from him. Barbara Carrera played Natalia. She's Maria in the 77 Island of Dr. Moreau. She was Lolani in our review of When Time Ran Out last season. She played Lola Richardson in Lone Wolf McQuaid and Fatima in the non-canon Never Say Never Again. Uh, I wanted to bring up uh, an episode of that 70s show that she was on. Do you know this episode? No, but that makes sense because Donna's mom is also a Bond girl. Right. Uh, in this particular episode, also appearing is Christina Wayborn and Maude Adams. Oh, really? They're, they all appear in this movie together. Oh, you know episode, what? Episode together. I think because um, we had uh, Christina Wayborn on the MacGyver podcast. That's why I wanted to bring her yeah. up because like, hey, Christina Wayborn, we had her on there. And I think we might have even talked about the sort of like Bond girl reunion she did on that 70s show right. in our interview, but that's that's great. James Hampton played Harry Oslo. I don't think we say his last name in the movie, but it's interesting that it's Oslo. Uh, he played Harold Howard in Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2. He's the father of Michael J. Fox in the Teen Wolf films. And in the series, he, he reprised the role for the TV series. He's Bill Gibson in The China Syndrome and Jerry Woolridge in Sling Blade. We saw him last as Lou Price in Hangar 18. Dana Elkar was Russ Devlin. He's Pete Thornton from MacGyver. We've seen him in The Nude Bomb and Noah's Ark so far. And he's back later this season for Buddy Buddy. He's back later in All of Me and 2010, The Year We Make Contact. Oddly enough, he's the other side. He's a KGB right. person. In but it's funny because in, in the Nude Bomb and in this movie, he's so similar to the Pete Thornton character. Yeah. I did love, uh, it's a small detail, but when uh, James Hampton is trying to get his attention to be like, well, hold on, did you hire a civilian for this, the Istanbul papers? And he's like trying to get his attention and uh dana keeps like waving to his driver like it's fine just just go <laughs> just keep D- going you don't have to listen to this guy talk to me just keep moving uh vernon dobchev played russian agent he was a russian official in fiddler on the roof he's the interrogator in the day of the jackal and he was sergey grigoriev in Najinsky last year he's a butler in the last crusade and he's max kalba in the spy who loved me but the butler in the last crusade is the one who uh, plays mickey mouse basically I think that's everything for Condor Man. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord. You can join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com slash Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you think people would like this show that you know, just you can tell them in person, too. <laughs> And then maybe they'll listen, and then more people can hear the show and tell their friends. That'll be neat. What a world. What's that sound? We got one! That's right. It's a new patron, Jeff Giles. As a $5 patron of the show, Jeff now has access to 29 full-size 70s reviews and 36 minisodes from 1980 and a hand in choosing next month's film. For July of 1972, $5 patrons are choosing between the following 11 titles. Blackula, 
William Crane's blaxploitation horror film about an 18th century African prince transformed by Dracula into a vampire and entombed in a coffin until his release in 1970s America. Bone. Larry Cohen's black comedy about a man played by Yafet Koto breaking into the home of an unhappy marriage and reluctantly settling their disputes. Sounds a lot like the ref to me. Butterflies are free. Milton Katsilis's comedy drama about a blind man moving into a building and befriending a free-thinking neighbor woman, starring Edward Albert and Goldie Hawn, based on the 1969 play of the same name. Deliverance, John Borman's survival thriller about an ill-fated camping trip in the American South, based on James Dickey's novel of the same name, starring John Voight, Burt Reynolds, and Ned Beatty. Dr. Fibes Rises Again, Robert Fust's British horror dark comedy, about a doctor attempting to resurrect his deceased wife with the help of ancient scrolls. It stars Vincent Price, Robert Quarry, and Fiona Lewis. Duck You Sucker, aka A Fistful of Dynamite, Sergio Leone's epic Zapata Western film about a bandit and an IRA explosives expert who wage war on the local government in the name of the Mexican Revolution. It stars Rod Steiger and James Coburn. Fat City, John Huston's sports drama about the conflict between a boxer on the rise and a boxer aging out of the sport. It stars Stacey Keach, Jeff Bridges, and Susan Tyrell. Love that cast. Ooh. Fuzz, Richard A. Cola's action comedy about a police hunt for a mad bomber terrorizing a city. It stars Burt Reynolds, Jack Weston, Tom Skerritt, and Raquel Welch. That's a comedy about a mad bomber terrorizing a city. Joe Kidd, John Sturgis's Western from an Elmore Leonard script about an ex-bounty hunter sent after a Mexican revolutionary. It stars Clint Eastwood, Robert Duvall, John Saxon, and Don Stroud. Now You See Him, Now You Don't. Robert Butler's Disney comedy, produced by Ron Miller, this film's executive producer, about a boy who invents an invisibility spray and a thief that tries to steal it. It's the second installment in a Kurt Russell-led trilogy that begins with The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes and ends with The Strongest Man in the World. And finally, The Thing with Two Heads. From the screenwriter of The Two-Headed Transplant <laughs> comes a second consecutive adventure about a man's head being involuntarily transplanted onto the shoulders of a criminal. This time, the heads are played by Rosie Greer and Ray Milland, patriarch of the Frogs family each of which will be celebrating their 50th anniversaries this July. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing heavy metal, which IMDb describes like so. A glowing green orb, which embodies ultimate evil, terrorizes a young girl with an anthology of bizarre and fantastic stories of dark fantasy, eroticism, and horror. We leave you now with a trailer for Heavy Metal. Columbia Pictures presents Heavy Metal. A trip beyond the future to a universe you've never seen before. A universe of mystery. A universe of passionate fantasies. A universe of terrifying evil. A universe of magic. Heavy metal. science fiction.
This is Cult Connections, the show that finds the links between all kinds of film, TV, books and more. From cult classics to major blockbusters, we have everything covered. So if you want to hear about the evolution of the zombie film, the different ways the world's most famous superhero appears on screen, or what links Star Trek, a puppet show and a teenager who can manipulate time amongst many other topics, then come and join us at Cult Connections.